this is Alan Appel, and you are listening to This Day in New Haven History on WNHH 103.5 FM and streaming live at newhavenindependent.org Community Radio in the Elm City. Hello and welcome to this October 6th, and it, um, you might think it's 2016, but I think it's 1908. Right, Jason? Yes, indeed. And that, that Jason is Jason Bischoff-Wurzel of the New Haven Museum, who's the regular co-pilot here on the time travel machine, and he has been uh, escorting us to that wonderful year, 1908, when um, things are happening uh, for the fall season. And among things that, um, Jason, you're calling our attention to um, today are a, a newfangled way to distribute cigars, as well as a um, place that I didn't know about where um, uh, young, young people are, young boys, I guess, young men are playing football. Yes, yes. So uh, some local pastimes here on the weekend uh, in the fall of 1908. And um, we begin with cigar smoking. Yes, but the newfangled invent. Now, 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 this is. We should say a little bit about cigars in New Haven. There are many people who aren't aware that um, Connecticut is a, a tobacco-producing state. Yes, and cigars were uh, manufactured in the city. Yes, here in New Haven, we were home to several uh, uh, large. Uh, and widely distributed uh, cigar-making companies. And yes, uh, Connecticut is very well known for its tobacco. Uh, Predominantly uh, northern Connecticut, uh, northern Connecticut River Valley. New Haven area, we can grow tobacco, but it's generally not as good. It never never really turned out as well. You need certain conditions, and uh, it's, it's the Connecticut River Valley has been found to be uh, far more conducive to it. So if, if you're on your way to Bradley, to the airport, you, you, uh, in the towns that, that you go by, in the fields near Granby, for yes. example, yes. if you see burlap um, kind of draped over green plants, that often is um, tobacco growing. Yes, territory. Yes, exactly. So that would, the the tobacco be produced and then uh, brought here to New Haven where it was produced, rolled, put together into uh, cigars. So for instance, uh, the Ninth Square uh, on the side of the building uh, down there as you drive down George Street uh, by George and State Street uh, mentions uh, a cigar company and that's indeed what was the residence of that building at one point was uh, cigars were produced there. Uh, yeah, the name escapes me. It begins with M, but uh, that's right. And as a matter of fact, Philip Morris, uh, a big name in tobacco, um, was begun by um, the the Cullman family. I, they spell their name C U L L M A N, but it, I believe it was um, a, a German immigrant in Connecticut. Cullman, K-U-L-L-M-A-N, and um, that began in the Connecticut River Valley. Yes. So here in New Haven in 1908, uh, they're dealing with some new, uh, creatively coming up with some uh, alternatives to new laws. Well, you talk about New New Haven's tinkering uh, uh, entrepreneurial tradition. This seems to me to, uh, this is not, the, the, the innovation here is not in the making of the cigar, but in its marketing. Yes. 
Yes. How to beat the Puritans, how to sell cigars on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So some of the cities alert cigar dealers who, because of the law, cannot keep their stores open on Sunday except in the evening have hit upon a good scheme to retain some of the profits that would ordinarily get away because of the Sunday closing law. They have resorted to the slot machine. Now, slot machine is not what we think it is. It's a machine with slots in it. To, it's a dispensing machine. Yes, exactly. It's not a gambling machine. Right. Correct. Right. These machines, which contain all of the popular brands of cigars, are placed outside the various places of business on Saturday night when the stores close. Sundays, all day long, there is a stream of dimes and nickels going into the machines from the pockets of smokers who have heretofore been greatly inconvenienced by the closing law. Of course, the profits thus derived are not so large as they would be were the stores open, yet the money received is well worth the trouble of installing the slot machines, and they may be maintained without the cost of a clerk. The next thing in order of business will be getting a Sunday shave or a haircut out of the handy slot machine. you got to love the way the person ends that piece there. What will they think of next? Yes, exactly. Well, you know, I looked high and low. The wave of the machines is coming. Right. Here, here come the machines. The machines. Uh, uh, yeah, um. oh, so when was the vending machine developed? And is this a New Haven invention to have um, uh, guys associate vending machines with with soda or candy, but the idea of putting cigars in a vending machine, I guess the challenge is similar. You've, you, a cigar is sensitive to humidity. Yes. Uh, but I guess so is a candy bar. Mm-hmm. Although a soda can could probably be in the vending machine for two or three decades. It, yeah, All right. it could. <laughs> but, I, but I could not find anywhere um, whether New Haven is in addition to the... Um, to the hamburger, the, um, is it the lollipop, the frisbee, if we can now take credit for the cigar vending machine, Jason? I don't know. Can we? Well, believe it or not, um, I don't think, uh, I don't, I don't think this is easily accepted, but the vending machine, um, has a long history and the Greek, a Greek mathematician apparently got the ball rolling back in 215 BC when he invented a machine to vend holy water at Egyptian temples. Hmm. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> and in America, it was 1888 when Thomas Adams Gum Company introduced the first vending machines in the United States. So gum was the first item vended hmm. before cigars. And they apparently were installed on New York's city subway platforms to market tutti frutti hmm, isn't that exciting really. isn't that exciting and in philadelphia horn and hardart began where you could dispense wedges of pie in 1902 um and in the 1920s the first automatic vending machines were doing sodas and cups and in 1926, this speaks to the article you brought in, an American inventor named William Rowe, R-O-W-E. Don't we have a street by that name in New Haven? We do. Mm. Rowe Street in Fairhaven. Yes. Anyway, this American inventor invented a cigarette vending machine. So the question becomes, 
did the cigar vending machine appear in New Haven even in 1908? It was here in New Haven before the cigarette vending machine. We, you know, it's possible we've made a discovery here because we know in 1926 the cigarette vending machine was invented. But if cigars are being dispensed in 1908, yes, we have to work on this. You heard her here first, folks. All right. We, we may have a new claim to entrepreneurial fame here in New Haven, and you know we love that. The cigar vending machine. Move If, o- if, if move New Haven o- loves anything, it loves a claim to fame. Move over, Louis Lunch. That's right. All right. So we should go. Uh, all right. So after you've vended your cigar uh, and you've had a few tokes and you, your lungs really are feeling good, if you were a uh, y- uh, y- young man uh, working in the factories, the writer of this article, um, Jason, is really impressed with, despite the incredible cigar inhalations, <laughs> these young men apparently are r- really, they're playing football, uh, a game actually pioneered by, over at Yale. Yes. And the point of this piece apparently is that you don't have to go to Yale to play football well. You could work in the factories and, and smoke cigars. Yes, and really also this idea of um, collegial activities. And, and football is always kind of seen that way. And in the fall, you know, people maybe come over, hang out, go throw the ball outside, and, you know, have a quick game of pickup. So that's, that's what this idea was. Correct. That, but it was also this, um, the, the kind of local leagues that were, seemed to be forming with your fellow workers at the factories. Like the, win, like the teams at Winchester, teams from Sargent, yeah. teams from uh, the New Haven Wire Company, yes. and maybe teams from the cigar companies. Could be. Could be. So give us so a they, read. They mention, worthy of mention, is the explanation why the young men of the city's factories are able to produce such fine football teams at this time of the year. Busy in the shops all day, they have very little chance to practice, yet they play the games with all the skill of the collegians, who spend every afternoon of the week in practice. The best of the fine shop teams practice in the nighttime, and they are able to do this by the means of electric lights. Oh, we have electric lights here. Electric lights. See the illumination mm. factor here. Right. Not not uh, oil lamps and uh, and not gas lamps. Mm-hmm. Over on the old Coliseum lot near the Kimberly Avenue Bridge, they have a big electric light set up, and under this, they practice kicking the forward pass and all the other tricks of up-to-date football. At this season of the year, the boys may have seen every night practicing upon that lot under the electric light, which gives them all the advantages of the daylight. This is the secret of the fine teams that are produced by the young men of the factories. Electricity. Electricity in just one big lamp. It does. So as we mentioned earlier this week, yeah. um, the city being relatively dark, you have gas lamps at night, but here's electricity already changing people's habits. So these, these guys are almost, they're so forward thinking at this point and able to practice and be as good, um, if not better, athletes and, and teams of this early form of football right? and uh, by the fact that they're taking advantage of the latest technology, especially when they're sitting there, as we mentioned the other day, discussing whether or not to use gas 
or oil lamps studied by at Yale, I guess after they were practicing all afternoon, the factory workers are like, nah, listen, we're going to go to work all day. We know there's an electric light out there. We're going to go over there, practice, and hit hit the cigar dispensary on the way back. <laughs> That's right. And, and and have a celebratory smoke. Well, and and it and it says all this is taking place under an electric light. It's it is su- suggesting that it's a kind of a, a big spotlight or a Klieg light, uh, you know, uh, uh, a single light. I mean, it's a it's a, sing- a singular as opposed to plural. Yeah. Um, and it, it is, which is even more of a fun thing to imagine, you know, under these northern lights at the beginning of the week, you go out to the light, the, one, <laughs> like, one big light, and the other meet me by the electric light. And, and the writer in the piece refers to the forward pass, which I think is is a, is a move in football that was more or less pioneered at Yale. Uh, the, the name escapes me. Well, Walter Camp. Yes, Walter Camp. Walter Camp. Now. It's one thing if you play the football game like uh, as it did as it emerged out of um, things like rugby and the and and the action was on the ground, but if you throw a forward pass and it's dark out, mm-hmm. it's really hard to catch it. Right, <laughs> right. But this lamp, the electric lamp of the hill, as it is, that's right, uh, really was changing the game. And this is also one of those things where, again, things that seem ubiquitous now, like now we have the NFL and things are very regulated. This is when these things were all just forming. And so, um, you know, football was a pretty new game. Right. And obviously the electric light sitting out somewhere in the hill was very new. So it's just an interesting kind of, uh, you know, again, it's like movement forward of of these these new trends and uh, how people were spending their time now now one uh, one date that i wish i had in mind i only am thinking of it now is when was the first you know professional or college football game and the college game was sort of like the professional level through the 1930s and 40s when was the first game played under the lights? If these factory boys could practice, my guess is that it, it took the league a long time to schedule a night game. Yeah. Certainly in baseball, yeah. there, uh, many of the, the oldest stadiums didn't even have lights until quite recently. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The idea was to play on Sunday afternoon or Saturday right. afternoon. Well, think about the Yale Bowl. Right. There, are there lights at the Yale Bowl? There, I don't believe initially there were. Right. But they could practice under the one light they had. Now, what you read is they're over at the old Coliseum lot. And you you told me before we went on the air that listeners should not think that's the site of our old Coliseum. Right. Which is still a lot. But Right. And in fact, that's how I refer to it. (laughs) If you go by that parking lot. Right. But this is over at Kimberly... uh, uh, Kimberly Avenue Bridge, and you're suggesting that this was an area um, where there, at this time, might have been a uh, velodrome. Nearby, yes, off of Howard Ave. Um, uh, a few years ago, uh, I worked on a exhibit, Cycle New Haven. At the New Haven at, Museum. At the New Haven Museum, and uh, there have been long rumored uh, that there had been a velodrome, a second velodrome in town, because there there had been one at Lighthouse Point, 
uh, along with the other amusements like a baseball stadium, um, the carousel, obviously. When bike riding came in as a kind of novelty. Yes, uh, and and the racing and um, the early leagues with that, but there had been discussion of a second one, and uh, all indications point at one existing off of Howard F. Uh, from the research that I did and sort of pulled together uh, looking at different documents, maps, etc. And the overall gist to this though is that the hill itself um, was the location of different sporting That's was, right. uh, areas uh, such as what they were calling as a Coliseum at this point or a velodrome uh, and simply because it's it was always cheap to build there and there was accessible land and more so it was um, kind of almost more appealing to, to the, the local residents, which tended to be working class and, and immigrant. And I think you could get there uh, from the train station quite exactly. easily. You could get there as you still could, can and, and today. Right. And uh, we've done several episodes, Jason, if you'll remember, about the New Haven Blue or, or the New Havens, the baseball team, mm-hmm. our town's extremely undistinguished baseball team. And I believe they played in, in a field when they played on the most proper field that could be found um, at Howard Avenue and Spring Street mm-hmm. is more or less the site which would which would position it uh, in this kind of sports complex area. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, Jason, thank you very much for um, taking us on a tour of cigar smoking and um, uh, working class football in New Haven in 1908. New Haven firsts. You heard it here on this day in New Haven history. See you tomorrow in 1908.